Well, great to see all of you here this morning. A special welcome to those that might be here for the first time. Great having you with us. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors with Village here. I'm here to introduce to you our speaker this morning. He's our church planter and the location pastor at Village Calgary, Vin Doan. He's, uh, yeah, let's give him a round of applause. It's great. He's been with us all week. Um, getting buried in all of what uh, Village is about every week, and he'll be coming out a few other times as well just to pass on uh, all of the various pieces that makes Village Village that we can transplant into Calgary. So we're excited about that. A couple of us were able to head out uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, meet the core team that's growing in Calgary. Uh, we'll likely inherit a building of some kind, looking at that, what that all means. So steps are being taken. We're investing in Vin. Vin's investing in us. It's great to have him. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity for you all to be able to uh, hear him this morning. If you're new with us, you know we just walk through Scripture. We're in Matthew, so Vin's just going to carry on from wherever we are in Matthew uh, this morning. So let me just pray for you, Vin, before you uh, speak to us. Father, we're first of all thankful for you. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the spirit and the plan and the way you have created to, for us to be able to know you in an intimate way and, and restore relationship with you because of Jesus. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for Vin, for his family, Laura, and little girl, girl Grace, and another one on the way in August. We ask, uh, in August, we ask that you protect this family from all of the attacks that are coming and will come in any kind of a new work that's, that's forming. We know there's great churches in Calgary, but we know hundreds of thousands of people there, just like in Vancouver and across this nation and each city, hundreds of thousands don't know you yet. So we ask to give him the strength, to give us the strength as a, a church family and wisdom to be able to bring what you want us to bring. And it's really simply you and your gospel to that city. Uh, help us with the details that we don't get distracted or taken off mission. So we thank you for Vin being here with us today. We ask the Spirit to give him special power um, today with the words that we need to hear in Village Church, Vancouver area, that we will be changed in some way and leave here different than when we, we came. So we ask this not in our power, not in Vin's power, but in the power of Jesus' name alone. Amen. All right. Thank you, Vin, for being with us. Thanks, John. Okay, so just to clarify, my name's Vin, as in exactly like Vin Diesel, except I'm the one with the better face and the better body. You can tell, right? So Laura right now, Laura's in Calgary at this moment, and she's, um, she's looking after our one-and-a-half-year-old Grace, and she's also eight months pregnant. So I did what any good husband would do. I left her there, and I came here. <laughs> but look, I am so thankful, Laura and I are so thankful that we get the opportunity to be a part of this, this family, this church family. We get to be a part of a church family that wants to plant gospel-centered churches all across our country. And Calgary is just the start of it. So we are so thankful to be here with you, and I'm so thankful I get to share this with you right now, this message. So we're going to dive straight into it. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to focus on verses 17 to 19. And it tells us in the very beginning here that Jesus, as he's going with his disciples, he's leading his disciples towards Jerusalem at this moment. 
Jerusalem. Why are they heading towards Jerusalem? You know that in Jerusalem, Jesus is actually not even from Jerusalem. He was not born there. He knows the city of Jerusalem, but he's not from the city of Jerusalem. Hey, this might surprise you right now, but I'm not from Canada. <laughs> I was born and raised in Australia. In Australia, you know what a cold day is? A cold day is when you open the fridge. <laughs> and once you close it, you're done. The day I landed in Calgary, it was minus 20 degrees. But I'm so thankful to be here in BC, be planting in Vancouver, I mean in, uh, in Calgary, sorry. And so, as we're out there, as Laura and I are getting planted, getting, getting started, and getting the love and support from, from Village here, we are so excited that we get to bring the gospel to the people of Calgary. And so as we keep going, as we keep moving forward, Jesus, he's reminding me of all these things as he enters into Jerusalem, a place he's not from. And as he reminds me that he's sending me, just like himself, into a place I don't know, he then reminds me of my own story. When I was born and raised, being growing up in Australia, for 10 years, just to make this story short, I was, actually, I was actually in a gang for 10 years. And for four of those years, I was actually a heroin addict. Every day, just pumping drugs into my body. Because that was my purpose. That was my goal in life. So you need to know the story of how I got saved, how this all kind of came to be. So what actually happened was this. As I got cleaned up, a month after I got cleaned up, my aunt comes to me and says, Vin, why don't you come to church with me? I decided to myself, well, I got nothing else better to do. Of course, I'll go to church. So I ended up going to church. I'm sitting in the second row, which is really strange to me because I always thought the cool kids sat in the back of the church, but there I am in the second row. And as I'm sitting there in the second row, I have no idea what's going on, but I see these guys in the, in the corner of my eye. I see these guys in suits, and they're preparing communion. They're preparing these, these things with like bread and, and, and with this cup. And I think to myself, well, if, those, if, that, if that kind of comes around and passes me, I'm just going to take it. I have no idea why, but I figured I should join in because I just don't want to feel left out. And as it kind of comes around, the bread gets there, and I take the bread, and I'm thinking, wow, if this is the body of Jesus, wow, this is actually delicious. Then the cup comes around. And as I take the cup, I take the cup and I drink it. And as soon as I drink it, I black out and I hit the floor. I start to pick myself up. And as I pick myself up, I'm thinking, I think something happened. But the next thought that comes into my brain is, I'm at a church, why didn't anyone help me up? Why didn't anyone just say, hey, dude, are you okay? Not even that. So I brush it off and I just go home with my aunt. 
And as I get home, I'm getting this gut feeling that's, that something's wrong. Something's amiss. Something must have happened there. So I call the only person I knew that could answer my question. I call my father. We had not had a conversation like that ever. So I explained the story to my dad. Hey, dad, this is exactly what happened. What do you think it is? And he goes one after the other. Do you think it's this? Do you think it's this? I'm like, no, I don't think so. And he goes, you know, Vin, that cup that you drank, it represents the blood of Jesus. Do you think that when you drank it, that as the blood entered your body, that it was washing away all your sins, anything that was not of Jesus, anything evil in there, and when those two worlds actually collided, it just brought you to, the, to your knees. And then I had that, that light bulb moment, like, that. that's it. That's exactly what happened. So now you've got to know from that experience, from that lifestyle, all the way to being saved like that by Jesus, how do I get to plant a church in Calgary for village? How does that even come about? Let me tell you, four years ago, a week into my marriage, my wife goes to me, Laura goes to me, hey, Vin, I sense that God is calling us as a couple to church plant. You know what I said to her? I turned to her and I looked at her and I said, no, and never bring this up ever again. That's how good of a husband I am. Two years go by, and I'm driving, and I'm working. I'm just doing my ministry thing. I'm serving at a church. I'm doing youth ministry, and I'm driving through Calgary. And then I sense God calling me, Vin, you need to plant a church. And in order to make sure I'm not crazy, because I think that's the craziest idea I've ever heard, I call a friend. We go, we drive around the neighborhood of where we believe God is calling us to church, man. We drive around for three hours, and in those three hours, we stop at every single school, from elementary to high school. You gotta think about it this way. Two grown men in a car sitting across a school looking at children. <laughs> that almost sounds illegal. After our experience, I'm completely convinced by friends, by everyone around me, by God himself, that we are meant to plant a church in Calgary. But I know nothing about church planting. I literally know nothing. Now I'm starting to gather books, I'm starting to talk to people. Then I find out there's a conference in Vancouver. So Laura and I attend this conference, and as we get there, a friend comes up to me and goes, hey, I need to introduce you to Pastor Mark and his wife, Erin. So Laura and I just walk straight up to, to Mark and Erin. We introduce ourselves, we start talking, and then Mark, in the middle of the conversation, just five minutes into the conversation, goes, we need to have lunch tomorrow. And I'm thinking, whoa, in my head, whoa, 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 slow down. This bromance is happening too quickly. I'm not even ready. My heart is tender. And then as, as the relationship and as the friendship grows over, over, the, over the months, Mark then kind of calls me and goes, hey, Vin, I think you're actually crazy enough 
to plant a church, a village church in Calgary. And so that's how we kind of all came to be. So now as Jesus is entering to Jerusalem, a place that he's not from, but he knows something about, Jesus is sending Laura Knight into Calgary as well. Something I'd, I know a lot about. I know thanks to the movie Cool Runnings. But here's the thing. We want to plant a church, a village church, that's going to reach people for Jesus, people who are distant from Jesus, people who get to hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because if they don't get it, they're just going to get a form of Jesus and not all of Jesus. So that's what we want to do. We want to see the whole place, the whole city transform for Jesus. So as we continue into this passage in verse 17, we find that as they are entering Jerusalem, we're going to think about why are they going there? Why are they heading exactly there, especially if they're not from Jerusalem? The background of this is this, is that they, all Jews are going to Jerusalem at this moment. Every single one. The city's going to create this, this buzz because they're going to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover is a story that's recorded in the second book of the Bible called Exodus. You may know this story, the Passover or, or the Exodus story, from such movies as the Ten Commandments. And the story is like Charlton Heston coming out with two guns. I mean, not guns. I mean, two stone tablets. And on the two tablets, the Ten Commandments are written on them. Or you might know the story from an animated movie by DreamWorks called The Prince of Egypt. That's the thing that they're celebrating, the, the Passover. And so as they go to think about these things and celebrate and whatnot, do you know in Exodus chapter 12 when it talks about the Passover, God himself in chapter 12 calls himself the destroyer. That's not the God I knew. That's not the God I kind of grew up being taught. God the destroyer? I, was always, I always knew God as this big old white guy with beautiful flowing hair and a beard, wearing a toga, and everything that comes out of his mouth is beautiful because like, he can vomit rainbows and it'll be amazing. That's the God I knew growing up. But here he calls himself the destroyer in Exodus 12. So God, the destroyer, demands from Israel, hey, you need to go kill a lamb. You need to take the blood of the lamb and then you need to paint it, spread it on your doorpost. And if you do that, I will pass over you. And for those who don't have the blood of the lamb and spread it on their doorposts, I will kill your firstborn. That will be the sacrifice. And so one writer puts it this way. He puts it, either there was going to be a lamb, a dead lamb in the house, or there was going to be a dead person in the house. But no matter what, someone had to die. So as we continue in this story, as Jesus is leading his disciples towards Jerusalem, he kind of pulls them, the, the verse actually tells us that he pulls them aside 
which basically means he's got something actually quite important to tell them. Put it to you this way. When I was playing basketball, what would happen is if we were losing in the game, coach would call timeout. And as, as he calls timeout, he kind of gathers us in and goes, hey, remember the plan? Remember our game plan to win this game? This is what I'm calling you in for. So when Jesus calls them aside, he's actually reminding them, hey, get focused. Get in the game. This is how we're going to win it. This is the game plan I have for us to win. So in the basketball game, when coach calls timeout, he will pull us in. But every now and then, coach might just call me and say, Vin, come here. And he'll whisper in my ear and he'll say, hey, your teammates are terrible. You probably need to win the game. No, he actually won't say that, but this is what he will say. He'll say, hey, Vin, notice, look on the left side of the court. That's where that team is vulnerable. Go there and attack, and we'll win the game. So you know what happens when we get back into the game? We are refocused because of the instruction that the coach gave us. So the whole game, I'm pounding away. I'm attacking the left side because I believe what the coach has said. So when Jesus pulls the disciples aside and tells them, hey, this is what's going on, he's telling them, focus, because right now they're not focused. They're not focused because they want to go celebrate Passover, which is a great thing to celebrate, but all they can think about is because everyone's gathering to the city of Jerusalem, that means they might get to bump into friends and family that they haven't seen in a really long time. So Jesus is telling them, hey, the son of man, he's going to get passed over, delivered to the Gentiles. Then they're going to crucify him. Then he's going to be mocked. Then he's going to be flogged. Then he's going to be crucified. But he will be raised again. So get back into the game because this is what's at stake. Mark's gospel in chapter 10 gives us this, this little bit more, a little bit more meat into this scenario right here. In Mark chapter 10, what happens is Jesus kind of calls them in and says, hey, this is the goal. This is what we've got to get focused on. And he tells them the Son of Man must, must suffer, must die, but he will be raised again. And as that happens, what happens next is that Jesus then walks ahead of them. He leads the way into Jerusalem. It tells us in Mark chapter 10 that the disciples are amazed. They are amazed that Jesus would lead the way towards his suffering. For most of us here, including myself, I want to walk away from suffering, not towards it. It will seem more normal to me to walk away from suffering. Let me put it to you this way. Laura being eight months pregnant, she doesn't ask much of me but she's going through some physical difficulties at the moment, and the discomfort is getting quite severe now. And she's telling me about where it hurts and whatnot, and I'm figuring out how do I help her? How do I help her with her suffering? And she pretty much tells me, there's nothing you can do, Vin, unless you have the baby yourself. And so she says this. She goes, this is all I want from you, Vin. When I give birth, to our second child, all I want you to do is go and look. I was like, eh, excuse me? She goes, yeah, go down and look. I go, you mean go down there? 
and look at the child? She goes, yeah, that's all I want. And I'm like, you mean that moment when it's like, no, that's what you want from me? And, and she's like, yeah. I was like, no way. I am not going through that. I love you, but I'm not going through that. She will then jokingly tell me, hey, Vin, you need to do this. I'll be like, why? She goes, well, while I'm suffering, I want you to suffer as well. <laughs> that is the depths of the love that we have in my marriage. <laughs> and I would tell her, I'm not doing it. I love you, but I'm going to stand beside you and whisper sweet things in your ear while you're giving birth, while you're in pain, but I am not going there. She will even have, she wouldn't even have the guts to tell me, okay, Vin, you're not going to do it for, for your children, for your own flesh and blood, for when they grow up, they asking you, hey, Dad, did you see me come out? You want to tell them no? Yeah, I'm going to tell them no. They will know that I love them by other means. Here's some money. There. <laughs> some might assume right now, as, he, as we talk about the suffering of Jesus, that because Jesus is the, is the son of God, that he's fully God, that somehow suffering won't mean as much to him. It doesn't hurt because he's the son of God, because he's God himself. But as Jesus gets to the doorstep of Jerusalem and he's, he's at the doorstep of his own suffering, you know what happens? The Bible actually tells us that he gets down on his knees and he prays and he begs God, Father, is there another way? There's got to be another way to get through this. But he tells his father, but... Whatever you want, I'll do it. So Jesus has a right fear of suffering. It's not easy for him. So when we get to this part now, this is now the third time. The third time Jesus has to get these guys focused on the task at hand. The first time actually happens in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, what actually happens is this. What happens is Jesus walks up to one of his disciples, Peter, and he asks Peter, hey, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter replies by saying, Jesus, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. This is impressive that Peter knows this, that he knows exactly who Jesus is. And right after that, you know what Jesus tells him? Jesus tells him, well, Glad you know that, but the Son of Man still has to suffer, die, and be raised again. Then Peter replies by saying, no way. No way, Jesus, this will not happen on my watch. I'm so determined, Jesus, that no one's going to get through to you because I'm going to stand right in front of them. I am so ready for whatever comes our way. I have a sword. And I'm ready, ready to pull it out and attack. Anytime you call, I'm there. Then Jesus replies to him, get behind me, Satan. Hey, you can call me anything you want, but don't call me Satan. 
The second time that this, where Jesus reminds his disciples that he has to suffer and die and be raised again actually happens in the next chapter in Matthew 17. And it's this beautiful picture of what we call the transfiguration, where Jesus is there and two almost like ghost-like figures are standing beside him. We've got Elijah on one hand and Moses on the other. And there's only three people witnessing this. Three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they're witnessing Jesus interact with two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. They are spellbound of what's going on. It gets even more epic than that. What happens actually next as they're looking at this sight, this brilliant sight, is that a cloud kind of comes over them. And in Vancouver, Vancouver, we know something about clouds, don't we? So as a cloud come, kind of comes by, goes, hovers over them, a voice comes out of the cloud and then says, hey, that's my son. I am well pleased. Listen to him. So you would think that after this epic, kind of this, this mountaintop experience that they just had, that Jesus wants them to, in a sense, stay there. But what happens next is this. As they're walking down the mountain, just the three disciples and Jesus, Jesus turns to them and says, tell nobody what you just saw. Until when? Until I am raised. So he's telling them, after a mountaintop experience, you don't need to stay there. Don't stay up in the clouds. This is what you really need to be focused on. You need to be focused on my, my death and my resurrection. He says, don't be focused on other things, but be focused on the plan, this goal that we have. That's what he wants for his disciples, even after a mountaintop experience. In verse 19, then he goes on to say that after he's going to be like condemned to death, he's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles and then be mocked and flogged. When we talk about the suffering of Jesus, most of us would always think through and always assume we're only talking about the physical suffering of Jesus. But here we're told in verse 19 that he's mocked as well. Mocking is just this this idea of getting, being cruelly kind of taunted, being kind of like this sense of getting teased over and over and over again, to be, to be felt like less than human almost. When I was 13, um, that was the first time I got arrested. So let me tell you how it all came to be. At 13, my boys and I, we decided, hey, let's go to the mall and let's just goof around. As we get near to the, the, to the shopping mall, this is what happens. One of the guys decides, hey, how about we just go into the mall and just start stealing stuff, just for fun, just to goof around. We all thought to ourselves, wow, that's a great idea, let's do that. So as, as he kind of sets out the plan, he goes to us, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to split off all of us, and everyone go on their own and go steal stuff, and this is what we'll do. We'll meet at a rendezvous point, and we'll kind of come back together, and we'll have a look at all the stuff that we've gathered, 
and we'll compare to see who wins. The guys who got the most expensive stuff and the most stuff, you're the winner. This, this plan, guys, this can't go wrong. So as, we, as I go in, I do my thing, I come back out. I meet it, I get to the rendezvous point, and there's only one other guy there. So we're waiting for the others to kind of come back. But where I'm standing, where the rendezvous point is, I can see the entrance to the mall. And as I look at the entrance of the mall, I see my, friend, my friends come out. But they're surrounded by police officers. And as they're out there, they're looking around, and then all of a sudden, one of my friends turns and points right at us. And then all I see is this. I just see the police officers book it, and they start running towards us. I just run as fast as I can. And as I'm running, I pretty much run out of breath. I need to stop, and all of a sudden, I get caught. I get thrown to the back of the truck, and as we're driving, we head to the, the, to the police station, and we get there to the back we get there to the back of the police station. As I get out, I'm the only one. Out of all my friends, I'm the only one that got caught for some reason. Maybe because I'm the special one. And as I get out there, seven police officers are surrounding me. And then we start walking towards inside. And as the, the police officers are surrounding me and we're walking, all I feel is this kick to the back of me. And I fall and I hit the floor. And then all I hear is, get up. So I pick myself up. I'm on my hands and knees. Then out of nowhere, I feel another kick go to me. And then I hear the same voice tell me, I told you to get up. And as I get on my hands and knees, I get one more kick, and I fall and hit the floor, but this time, all I hear is laughter. When you're mocked like that, you feel almost less than human. I think the best way to put it, when you're mocked like that, when you're laughed and beaten like that, you almost feel numb inside. I suspect that's what Jesus was feeling. As they beat him, they spat on him, they slapped him. That the king of the universe is feeling less than human. That's part of his suffering. For those who are in law enforcement or in any type of authority or any public service, can I let you know on behalf of our church that we love your service. We thank you for your service. We, we as a church appreciate your service. I love you. I have chosen to forgive. We as a church family choose to forgive those who wrong us. You know why? Because Jesus did. Now you might be thinking to yourself, wow, Vin, our stories are quite different. And in many ways, of course they are. But hear this. Jesus didn't die more for me and less for you because you did less. 
The same Jesus, the same blood, the same death, the same resurrection was for all of us. That Jesus died for you and I. But there's too many of you in this room where you're already destroying yourselves. You're destroying yourselves through alcohol abuse. You're destroying yourselves through drug abuse. Some of you guys are destroying yourselves just through pure unfaithfulness. Some of you guys are even destroying yourselves through chasing after money. But basically, we're all chasing after sin. That's how we're destroying ourselves. But Jesus, Jesus, as he goes to the cross, this is what the Bible says. It tells us that Jesus is there to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. You know another way to translate the word crucified is the word destroy. The same destroyer that the disciples are going to celebrate in Passover in Jerusalem that same destroyer is going to destroy his son for our sake. This destroyer is going down on the cross to destroy sin and death. Why? So that we would live again. For those who call upon his name would be saved, would resurrect, would come back to life. That's why Jesus is being destroyed. So as we come to communion at this time, for those who don't call upon the name of Jesus, let the, let the cup and the bread kind of like, let it pass you by. But for those who do call on Jesus as I do, as our church family does, I want you to remember that the power in the things that we, we're gonna do now, they represent the transforming power of Jesus to change your life and mine. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you were the lamb that died, that you were destroyed for our sake, that you were mocked, that you were beaten, you were flogged, that you were delivered over just so we could have life again. And for that, we give you great thanks. And we remember it is only by your power that we are transformed and made new again because of your great name, Jesus. Amen.